we're talking about control issues, obviously. And um, when you take what that song talks about, and when you think, think about some of the some of the other things that we when we talk about control and the issues of control, um, it just brings up that whole thing of control issues. And it's kind of it's kind of weird. And this is kind of a different kind of thing. I, by the way, I did this. I don't expect you to remember this. You know, if you were here in October of last year, uh, actually the eight, the fifteenth of '06 um, is when I we, we did this particular message. Um, and you know, I don't I don't want to adjust my expectations here. I don't expect you, if you were here then, uh, to remember. You know, I have a hard time remembering what I did last week. So I, I don't necessarily expect you to remember all the things that I talk about on Sunday after Sunday. I hope there's a few themes that you pick up. That's my goal. Um, and so you may recognize, if you were here then, a few things uh, here and there. But uh, there's also some things that I've changed around a lot because I just, I don't know, when you go back over some of these uh, things and some of this material, like anything, you know, I, I want to say this or I want to bring in this verse or whatever. So just sort of a little disclaimer, if that's what it is, before we get started. Um, control issues. They're often complicated and they're often deep-seated. And you know that. And I was only half-joking earlier when I said, if you know somebody near you with a control issue, raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Um, I was only half-joking because all of us deal with it in different ways, different times of our life, different seasons of our life, um, different, different little areas of growth or the lack of in our lives, just as people, let alone as people who are people of faith seeking to grow uh, in, their, uh, in their understanding or at least even think about growing their understanding of, of who God is and what that means to me. So, let's just jump into this whole thing of control issues. We're going to use the term that has been used by probably everybody here. Um, there might be somebody who hasn't used this term. But the term is control freak. Anybody, anybody ever use that term? No, it's okay. You don't, you know, some of us are willing to admit we've used that term. Um, and so I went to the not always reliable but always good wikipedia.com and, and just wanted to give you, I thought it was a pretty good definition of a control freak. And uh, we'll just kind of go from there. All right. So just kind of follow along. A control freak is a derogatory term for a person who has an obsessive need to control other people or situations. In psychology-related slang, control is the attempt to impose excessive predictability and direction on others or on events, often associated with insecurity or lack of trust. Frequently, a person labeled a control freak, now be careful with this, has a position of authority or superiority in a relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that they are superior. I want to make that clear. But there is a perceived issue sometimes. This person's superior than me. Maybe it's my mate, and I know they're smarter than me, or they're more eloquent than me, or they're more whatever than me. So, and the point that I want you to see, that I think it's a good, it's, it's a good working definition here, is that the person labeled a control freak has a position frequently of authority or superiority. I put that in quotation marks in a relationship. However, a person's obsessiveness extends beyond the acceptable range of control. The term is used for extreme cases. That gives us somewhere to work, all right? Because what I want to do now, um, I did this last fall, and I'm going to, and, and because it's there, I'm going to go through this very quickly because it, it's kind of half fun and half corny and half cheesy, but, but then I want to get it, it's for a purpose. So 
if you can take a little corn pone for a moment, maybe that'll help, um, um, just to get us into the subject. Um, some tendencies that those who have control issues might have, all right? Ten, um, ten signs you may be a control freak, real simple things, all right? Uh, number one, you have to be the banker in Monopoly. Um, number two, you know the type. People don't invite you over anymore because you keep straightening out their stuff. Ever happened? That, I'll tell you when that becomes an issue. Uh, and some of you know this, is when you have adult children who are married. And sometimes you go into their home and you're like, well, you know, and, and, and they don't always do things the way you did when you, or what they did when you were, they were in your home. And sometimes you've got to control yourself a little bit and say, oh, this shouldn't be here or don't do this. You, know, you just got to be a little careful about that, you know. So anyway, you probably got my thing there. Um, you're, you own the remote control. Steve talked about that earlier. All of us probably have... Uh, Dealt with that a little bit. You always do the driving. You clean your own house before and after your housekeeper. <laughs> That's a thing, you know. Charlene's, my wife, every week says, okay, uh, Jay-Z's coming tomorrow. You better pick up your stuff. And I'm like, why do I got to pick up my stuff? You know, what, you know and, then, and then one time I didn't, and my stuff was in places that I could never find it, you know. And I'm like, okay, from now on, I'm hiding my stuff. I get your point. Anyway, um, you clean your own house before and after your housekeeper. You do everything yourself. You never let your kids, a little more serious, or, or your employees or your mate help because they won't get it right. Now, I'm not going to delegate that because you won't, you won't do it right. You'll mess it up. That's a problem. You're neurotic about five things. You say, what does that mean? You know, we all, we all have some little things that we're neurotic about. Some of us, you know, we're going to have a certain kind of coffee. Some of us have a certain kind of, of, of drink or, or, or food or a certain kind. Of, and we're very neurotic about it. There's got to be a certain way. That's okay. We all have our little idiosyncrasies. You know, we don't wear shoes in my basement. That's just one of my things. That's okay. We all have little things. When I have five or six of those, I might have a problem, you know. Then it's getting like, okay, where do we draw the line in this? Just think about that. You're neurotic about five, six things. Uh, you don't let your husband or wife do the grocery shopping because you don't trust them to make the right choices. Yeah. You think everyone else is missing. This is, uh, this is pretty serious. You, you think everyone else is missing the mark. Their standards are too low. Only you can do it right. That's a problem. That's a problem. Um, you have no margin for anything to go wrong, the slightest thing, and you go over the edge. And you get angry a lot. Because you see, people who have control issues get angry a lot. Because something just gets a little off kilter and boom! How can it be? This is not a good way to live. And God knew that. That's why he gives us some very clear scripture, very clear passages in the Bible that talk about this. And, and that's what we're going to do. Let me just say this. Control freaks come in all sizes, shapes, and colors. Okay? And, it, and, and different personalities. We think of often the controlled person as the person who's kind of obsessive and very strong and very kind of, kind of boorish and they, this is the way it's got to be. But sometimes those control freaks are quiet and meek and won't talk. That's a control thing. You ever have a situation with your mate where you know, you, one, one or the other or both wouldn't talk to the other one? Well, we're not talking right now. It's a control thing. 
Now, maybe because of frustration, maybe because of a lot of things, but it's a control thing. I'm not going to talk. I'll show you. I can control this relationship by being silent. Ah, it's kind of childish. It's kind of immature, but we pro- many of us have done it probably a couple of times. Um, it's a control issue. It comes in many sizes, size and shapes and, and forms and, and different kinds of personalities. But, you know, th- that's the thing that we've got to think about. Control freaks have a difficult time sometimes also discerning between the big stuff and the little stuff. You know, that the, the book a few years ago, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff? Um, and a lot of people have a hard time understanding, you know, they want to control this, they want to control every little thing. That's a miserable way to live. And I can tell you, God never intended that. I know that because I've read the Bible. Um, here's the great truth of this whole thing. And it takes, I don't mean to trump everything with age here, but I'm going to just for a moment. Uh, there aren't too many benefits, but one of the benefits of age is you realize how little you really did have control of certain things. You realize, doesn't mean you don't work hard, doesn't mean you don't bust your tail, doesn't mean you don't try to have a standard of excellence, but you realize with age, there's a whole lot of things that I thought I had control over that I didn't and don't. So that's where we are. Now, thinking about that, let me just jump into this because this is, this is, uh, this is, really, this is really important. May, I want to make a statement, and then I want to take you to the Bible and show you some things about that. When we submit, this is the issue. The Bible teaches that when we submit to God's influence, God's dominion, you, you could use, some people would use the word control. I'm not going to because it sounds so, I don't know, like puppets or something. And God, we're not puppets, and God doesn't want us to be. But when we submit to God's influence, God's dominion, our lives will take on a certain quality that could never be achieved. It could never be achieved when I am trying to be in control of things myself. And I want you to see that. When I submit to God's influence and God's dominion, when I yield to that, it, my life will take on a quality that I would never know had I not done that and kept trying to control things myself. Not only is it a miserable way to live, it's just not very effective. So, let's go to Ephesians. I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 5. show you here on the screen these verses. Because this talks about control. It talks about influence. It talks about these issues. It's going to show us when this happens, this, 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 when we yield, when we, when we um, submit to God's influence and dominion, some really cool things happen in our lives. All right, here we go. Watch this. Uh, Ephesians 5.17. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't want what the Lord wants. And I'm talking about what you want, wants you to do in terms of whether it's your job or what school you go to or whatever. It's just, just your life. How he wants want you to live. Don't act thoughtlessly. Try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Okay, and he gives us this analogy. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. We all know that. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control or fill or stimulate you. He uses this analogy, and this is Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher from Wales and great great writer of commentaries, made a real big, wrote a chapter on the fact that you can't use this verse as as a temperance verse. It's not saying you can't drink wine. It's using the analogy of, when one drinks too much wine, they get drunk and they become influenced by something other than themselves. 
And we can argue how much or how little that, that takes place, depending probably on, on how much you've had the drink or whatever. Well, what the Apostle Paul is trying to do is saying, in the same way, that's not a good thing. But in the same way, allow the Spirit of God to come into your heart and into your life and influence you to do the things overcoming your insecurities in the same way that alcohol would that doesn't last, God the Holy Spirit can do that in your life. That's what he's saying. He's using that as an analogy. So, so be careful with that and, and don't, you know, don't make us say something that's not. His point is this, and that is we need to yield. We need to submit to God's Spirit. God's Spirit comes into our life the moment we come to Christ. And wherever you are, the moment you say, you know, However you want to say it, it doesn't have to be in these words, Jesus, I want you in my life. God, I want to trust you right now. When that, the, God's Spirit enters our life, when that happens, He's saying, start yielding. Start, start submitting to God. And some pretty amazing things will happen. And He gives us three. He gives us more than that. He gives us three that we're going to see right here. All right? First thing that happens is what happens in verse 19 and 20. Internal joy internal, not eternal, internal joy. Verse 19, then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Watch this. Making music to the Lord in your hearts. Aren't you glad for that prepositional phrase, in your hearts? Doesn't have to be out loud. No? Can be, but for some of us, may not be too... It's always always a debate sometimes in churches. People say, well, you know, in in some churches, you know, and we've had this... uh, is it just a performance or, you know, how come you have to be good to sing? And I said, I don't think it's too worshipful to sit there and listen or sing along with somebody who can't carry a tune. Uh, I don't think that's really worshipful, you know. There's a fine line there, obviously, and I can assure you that in our situation, people are doing it from their hearts uh, because that's, that's what it's about. And, and that's what he's saying here. And, you know, thankfully, they also can sing. Um, not some of us who can't. The point is this. When we, yield, when we are yielded to the Spirit of God in our lives, one of the things that's going to happen is there's going to be internal joy. We've been making music in our hearts. Right? Internal joy. The second part of that, and you will always give thanks for everything to God, for the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's thankfulness. Such a good quality, isn't it? Being with thankful people. They're just, they're just great to be with. What's the opposite of thankfulness? Dare I mention it? Whining, complaining, being negative. I mean, it's one of those things that we have to be careful of. And when we have to, you know, when we're left to ourselves without God. This happened this morning to me. Uh, let's see. Good gracious. Um, I wish I hadn't looked at my watch. It was about two hours ago. Uh, just a little, yes, just about two hours, a little under two hours ago. I get here about nine o'clock, you know, service starts at nine thirty. Freaking fire alarm goes off again. This, this has happened seven times in four months and one other time. And it's never a fire. It's always some stupid little thing. And it's somebody that forgot to turn the stove on the right way down in Winberries or something and bless them. They're great. They try. They try. And it's just something that happened. But, you know, here I'm thinking it's 9.15, and here are the fire departments coming. And, of course, I, I know the end result. We've got to go through the whole thing just to, because you have to do it. I don't, I'm not being critical of that. That's just the, what, what you have to do. But, you know, just for a couple of moments there, everybody was coming out of Winberries. I was walking in looking for the manager and say, what, you know, what, come on, what are you doing here? But I got control. God's spirit took over. I finally said, hey, how you doing? 
I didn't have to say anything. He just, I said, hey. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious why I'm there. And I said, he said, I'm sorry, Rich. I'm really sorry. And I said, uh, you know, just for a moment, you know, you're, you're starting to get complaining and whiny and you stop. And you say, you know what? What do I need to do? And I went out and talked to some of the firemen. I said, hey, thanks. Thanks for being on the job. Thanks for being here, guys. Um, didn't need you, but we might have and it might someday, you know. So. So thanks for being here. And, you know, it just it was obviously this was in my mind. I thought about this. But but um, so many times we do that in different ways. And God says when when we're yielded to the spirit of God, there's just a, a spirit of thankfulness, not whining and not complaining, which nobody likes. I don't care who you are. Nobody likes that. And uh, so that's what happens. All right. I'm yielded, to, I'm, I'm yielded to this domain, this influence of the Spirit of God. There's internal joy. There's thankfulness. Now watch this last thing, third thing. There's revitalized relationships, I like to call them. It's talking about the family. And I use this this morning. We have, we have, a, I have a wedding tomorrow night. And, and you say, on oh, Monday night, we have, for those of you who don't know, we have some theater people. And two of them are getting married. And they're getting married on Monday night so their other friends can get married. Or, excuse me, so their other friends can come watch them get married because they're, it's Broadway's dark on Monday night. So anyway, for those of you who know them, that's Norbert and Michelle. They were here at 930 with all his family, which filled up that whole center row. He's got like 10 brothers and sisters and stuff and all their mates and other kids. It's just amazing. Anyway, anyway, so we had talked about this. and It was a great time for me to remind them of what this passage here talks about in verse 21, beginning in verse 21, because a lot of people get confused with this passage. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Watch this, because this is one of those verses not 21, but 22, that gets really just ripped right out of context. And people go around acting like they know what it's talking about, and then we've got a freaking clue. And, uh, and, and so here we go. So here we go. Watch this. Ephesians 5, 21. Watch, watch, watch. Further, this is, you will submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ, you will submit to one another. Now, read verse 22. You wives will submit to your husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to her be your Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands and everything. All right? Now, you say, whoa. Keep reading. Verse 25. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her. Here's what I want you to see about this passage, because it, it goes far beyond marriage and, and so forth. People, in some circles, emphasize this verse 22. You wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And they miss verse 21, which is a summary statement for everybody. And then people say, well, and then there are people, I've, I've heard this is just the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. I've heard people who want to just go literal, literal, literal say, well, see, the Bible never says that the wife is to love the husband. It just says the husband is to love the wife. You know, that is just the most ridiculous logic I've ever heard. It's like it's clear that God is setting down a pattern here. Submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, love your husbands. He's making, I believe he's making a statement for both here. And we're to do both. So the point is, does your wife submit to you, Rich? Absolutely. Do you submit to her? A whole lot more. Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not a whole lot more, but I hope it's an equal thing. That's what we strive for. Does your wife love you? Absolutely. Do you love your wife? Absolutely. It's not one or the other, you see. 
And what he's saying is this is revitalized relationships when, when we're under the influence, when we're under the, the dominion of God, the Holy Spirit. One of the things that happens, yeah, there's, there's joy. Yeah, there's thankfulness. But there's also revitalized relationships because we know how to submit to one another. And it's not a begrudging thing. It's not at all. It's a mutual respect. It's a mutual area of, of not hiding behind your strengths, but being aware of your weaknesses and being submissive to another's strength. That's what it, that's what it amounts to. And, and trust me, you guys know this who are married. There are many things that your mate is strong in that you are not and vice versa. That's why we submit to one another. And that's why we love one another. So, so you know, there's the, the correct interpretation. Your lucky day. You got it right here for you today. Um, no, I mean, I do get very, I'm only half kidding. Um, I do believe that's the correct interpretation. I do believe a lot of people try to isolate some of the stuff and make the Bible say things that the Bible doesn't really say. Uh, because they just pick stuff out here and there. Here's the point that I want you to see. Instead of pushing and clawing and manipulating and trying to control things in our world, God has a better way. God has a better way. And his way is really simple. Submit to his influence, the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. And watch as that joy and that thankfulness becomes more and more evident. 24-7, unfortunately, no, because I'm a fallen person living in a fallen world. But they'll be there a lot more. That, that joy, that, that thankfulness, those relationships that are revitalized, that are built on love and submission to one another. It's a huge difference there. It's a huge difference. Um, we need to leave. Let me, let me, we need to wrap this up. I want to give you three things real quick just to kind of take out with you and give you all you need to know basically about control in three basic steps, all right? From the Bible at least. Um, three things, real simple. Three basic about who's in control and who's ruling your world. First thing is self-control is the only control that is mandated in the Bible. The only control we're told to really have is self-control. Whether it comes to my temper, whether it comes to drink, whether it comes to food. (laughs) Sorry, I just say that there. You know, whatever it happens, whether it comes to whatever is in... God tells us we need to have self-control in our lives. So we talk about control. That's the one good self-control. Second thing I want you to get. You have, and I said this a moment ago, I want to say it again. You have control of very little. And I can assure you it's considerably less than what you think it is. Therefore, third thing, God just has a way. God just has a way of working things out, talking to two or three things going on with young couples in our church. And I have the opportunity oftentimes to talk to them and had dinner the other night with one who they have a new baby and and they're just really fun. And they talk about, you know, career and her career and what to do and money and all the things that, you know, some of us have been through years ago. And I said, you guys do the best you can. Do the best you can. But you know what? God has a way of working it out. Doesn't mean you get, doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try to give it as much thought and as much prayer and as much talk and counsel as you can get. Do the best you can, but but trust God, because you're going to have to anyway. You're just going to have to. You know, it's just it's just that kind of thing. So God has a way of working things up. Doesn't mean we get lazy. 
doesn't mean we don't go at things with an attitude of excellence, but God has a way of working things out. Let me show you this, and we'll leave with this. And we know that God causes, don't stop there, all things to work together. Doesn't cause all things. Causes all things. Because sometimes I cause things. Sometimes I'm an idiot. Sometimes you're an idiot. We do stupid stuff. Okay? God didn't do that. I did. Don't blame it on God. Some people say, oh, I don't know why God made me. God didn't make you do that. You did it because you're a stupid idiot. <laughs> now repent and move on. Okay? Thank God for your forgiveness. All right? Uh, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God's got a way of working this out. And in the end, we talk about control issues. You, if, you can't, if you can't let go, if you, at, at some point, if you can't let go and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this, you are going to have a pretty unhappy life. And I've seen too many people like that. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. That's where the ultimate control lies. Let me pray. God, thank you for being a God who's that big and who loves us that much. And it's very difficult for us to get our mind around that because you do love us that much and you do care about the things that are a part of our lives. So God, we pray as we, as we just leave here, just help us to think, help us to pray. Wherever we are in the spectrum of faith, this journey of faith, help us to stop. And, and in some, for some of us, we just, God, ask you again to give us a renewed ability to trust you, to see these things happen in our lives, to be under your influence and dominion. For some of us, God, it's a first-time thing. They just, we just want, I want to try right now for the first time to make that a part of my life. Wherever we are in that, I pray, God, that you would deal with each of us individually. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.